Good evening, and the Lord be with you all. Before we um, begin tonight, uh, I want to announce that I will be in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the uh, New Life City Church on August the 10th, 11th, and 12th. And, um, you know, I don't travel anymore, essentially. I haven't been out of the ranch for a very long time. And so um, if any of you in the Southwest or anywhere else in the world uh, would like to spend a weekend in worship, uh, teaching, um, and letting the Holy Spirit be released in your life, um, this will be a great weekend for us to get together. And so it will be on Friday night at 6 p.m. And we'll be teaching throughout the evening. And then Saturday morning at 10. And that will go throughout Saturday morning. And then at 6 on Saturday evening. And Sunday morning, their worship service will be incorporated into the whole teaching, which is at 10 a.m. And so Albuquerque, New Mexico at the New Life City Church. And if you have any further questions, go to their website, New Life City, uh, or call the church at 505-323-3900. I hope to see you there. I want to share uh, maybe a couple of weeks this is not going to be a long series, but it is something that is very simple. In fact, I've referred to this on more than one occasion, but it's, it's leaping inside of me. And so maybe this week and next week, I want to look at this. And for a beginning, let's go to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It's one of those verses in Isaiah written centuries before Jesus came, but it is describing the incarnation. It's describing who Jesus is. And so let me read it to you. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And then in chapter 8 of Isaiah and verse 18, uh, Isaiah is speaking of himself and his children. And it says, Whom the Lord has given me, his children, are for signs and wonders. And it's interesting that that verse is quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 2 as referring to Jesus and to us. And the word that I want to look at for the next couple of weeks is this word wonderful. His name will be called wonderful. And then in that other text that he and us are given this name of sign and wonder. Now to read this uh, in context, it really begins in Isaiah and chapter 7. 
and th this passage from chapter 7 through chapter 9 of Isaiah is filled with texts that you will suddenly realize you, you've read them somewhere else before. They're quoted in the New Testament. It begins with uh, a people and their leaders, or specifically their leader, the king, and they had drifted far from what we would call the truth that had been revealed to Israel in the Old Testament. In, in fact, you could say that God, the Lord, Yahweh, the God that had revealed himself to them, had become, what shall I say, mere doctrine. There, there was no dynamic union, no now experience of him. They knew him removed. That is, they could study about him, they could talk about him, they could sing psalms about him, but that word about separates. It means that you are here and you are looking at something, someone there, and you can debate the person or debate the idea. And so God had become a doctrine. What he did was buried in history. And it was all a matter of when he did that and when he did the other. It was part of their history as a people, but it actually meant nothing to them today. It was an item for theological debate and for argument. And to that city, a little event, it's not a big one, but sometimes little events spark great insights. And that little event uh, was a terrorist event. Uh, without going into the details, the northern uh, kingdom and Syria ha had uh, put out rumors and, and they put out threats which constituted terror. And it says that the whole city, the whole people, they were shaken like trees are when a, a hurricane gale goes through the city, uh, through the woods. And so the, the trees bending, and it, it describes the people, every one of them shaking and, and bending before this threat. And the threat was so great that Ahaz, the king, the leader, has gone out to check on the defenses and check on the water system. They're expecting this attack. And Isaiah goes to face that king, uh, a very materialistic king, uh, a king that fitted well into what I've just said about their understanding of God. And, and Isaiah challenges the king, ask of the Lord. Uh, you seem to have left him out of this equation. Ask of him anything as a sign. And, and the king in his that religious deadness said, oh, I would never, I would never put God to a test. I would never ask a sign. And then in a kind of holy, beautiful anger at such deadness in, in terms of relationship with God, Isaiah responds, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. And he turns and seems to speak to the oncoming centuries of history and, and speaks down through the pages of history and says, this is the sign that the Lord will give. A virgin shall conceive and be with child. And his name, Emmanuel, and so you have that great text right there 
in response to these dead people, God himself will work in spite of you and bring forth Emmanuel, God with us, and do so through virgin birth. And then that catches hold of Isaiah. And the chapter 8 especially speaks of Emmanuel. It seems to overwhelm him that God is with us and therefore no one can thwart the purposes and the plan of God. And then still in that mode he comes to chapter 9 and now he's looking at this one who is coming and said to us a child is born, to us a son is given and his name shall be called wonderful. He realizes that this people, like it or not, have been brought face to face with the now presence of God, Emmanuel, God now with us, the God who is with us, that covenant word which describes binding together in love, and that that God who, in a way that was beyond Isaiah's comprehension, would actually enter into our history. He would actually enter into our situation. And his name would be called Wonderful. Wonderful. And already in chapter 8, there's been this strange word that, that he, the, the people of God who believed, would be themselves signs and wonders. And so he who is wonderful shall enter into human history, and those who believe upon him shall themselves become signs and wonders. I find that this story has many parallels to the world in which we live, and I could go off on what today would be rabbit trails uh, of looking at that, but at the heart of it, right now at the heart of it, there are believers, and I count them as believers, but they have locked God in the box of their predictable human logic, and their, their human mind has invented this God that they've put in a box. Maybe the box is more like a coffin. Um, a, a God, and I say small g because he's not the real God. It's a God of human invention, religious invention. And he's a God who's incapable of acting outside of the box of our human logic, our human boundaries. Or to put it this way, there's nothing wonderful about him. In fact, quite frankly, he's rather boring because he can only do what we think, the limit of our thought, that's as far as it goes. And we've got him very tightly locked up in our religious boxes. And there's no wonder that we have little thought of him in the midst of all that is going on today, because somehow in our minds, this God that we invented can't do very much about anything, you see. And so this word that we're going to look at for the next num uh, two weeks, I'm saying two weeks, uh, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to me, and that's why uh, maybe I, I find excitement in my spirit about it. It's the challenge to take a glorious hammer 
and break that wretched box and discover that it's empty. Yeah, you see, it, it's empty. The, the, the God that we put in a box, I said, right with a small g, he's not the real one. He's a God of our illusion. He's a God of our religious invention. For the true God, the real God, lives outside of our box. And the only response that we can have to that is that he is wonderful, wonderful. And of course, this is speaking of Jesus. There's no doubt about that. These verses, all of them are quoted in the New Testament and referred to him. And so this is speaking of Jesus. His name shall be wonderful. But just a moment, uh, Jesus plainly said, and in fact, the whole New Testament testifies to it that Jesus is the exact image of the Father. John 1.18 says that he is the explanation of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which means that as I look at Jesus and his name is wonderful, that means that the Father is wonderful the Father that Jesus now is perfectly imaging. The Father wonderful that Jesus is wonderfully explaining. And the Father who is wonderful and to see Jesus wonderful is to have seen the Father that he reveals. You understand? And then Jesus said that the same Holy Spirit that was upon him is now poured out upon us. Well, if the Father is wonderful, and if Jesus is the word or the explaining of the wonderful, and the Holy Spirit then is wonderful, present with us now, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the wonderful. Okay, I've used the term what does it mean, wonderful? Um, and, I, and I can't only go to what it means today because this is a word, and I'll say a major word. It, it, the, the word wonderful in the language of the Old Testament is found in a number of places in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it brings up other ideas that all speak. They're all under the umbrella of wonderful. This is important, very important. What does this word mean? Let me slide us into it. It will take us a bit of time. And maybe it will take us a bit of time because we are like it or not, we're part of this Western world that has forgotten wonder. In fact, our Western world is ashamed of wonder. And if you wonder when you go among many of God's people, they'll escort you away. What does it mean? The word wonderful in the scripture, it means it's the ultimate surprise. It's the unexpected. I think if you're looking at my face, it, it, it's got in it the uh, wow. This is the closest in very modern slang that we could get to it. It's a wow. It, it's, I'm surprised. 
surprised. I'm, I didn't expect that. It wonderful. It means that you don't have a file for this. It means that there's no category inside your little human brain to put this in. I, I don't know what to do with this. Wonderful. It's wow. I, it's beyond all formulas I had. You know, I thought I had it all wrapped up. We're back to the box. We, we thought we had God in our beautiful little doctrinal boxes and we knew exactly what he could do and what he couldn't do. We, we said what he couldn't do and, and it was there, neat. And now suddenly we realize he's not in our box and there is no formula and there is nothing that I can pin him down like a dead butterfly on a corkboard. I can't do that. We have come up against something that we said was impossible. Maybe it was so impossible we never even dreamt of saying impossible. It just wasn't in our brain. And now we're looking at it. That's the word wonderful. And in the scripture, it describes the works of God. Not only does it describe God himself, but it describes the works of God that are beyond all our human imagination and certainly beyond all our capability of doing. So it's beyond thought. It's beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations and it's beyond all our powers of accomplishment and so where you find this word in scripture it awakens astonishment it, it, it awakens a speechlessness and all those works they're not merely what should I say magic tricks it isn't that God does something to say see I caught you there didn't I no Every one of these wonderful works, they are all characterized by revealing the love of God, revealing the care of God and the protection of God for his covenant people. That's very important. I'm not speaking just of, well, yeah, magic tricks. It's not that God does something just to wow us. Never, 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 never. And whenever you might speak of signs and wonders, or you might speak of miracles, never think of it as just something to make you astonished. No, all of God's wonder works, which spring from his wonderful being, they are works that in themselves are a revelation. It's like someone pulling back the curtain and they show that God is limitless, unconditional love, and he cares for you, he provides for you, he protects you, he is with you. Wonderful. Sometimes this is translated, and this would depend um, sometimes on, on the translation of the Bible you're reading. Sometimes within that Bible there'd be different translations but sometimes it's translated as marvelous. That's another good word. It's marvelous. Well, what is it in the Psalms? It is marvelous in our eyes. It, it is a wonder. Um, 
and sometimes it's translated as too difficult. That is, for us, it's too difficult. I've already said that, but it means it's gone beyond the stretch of what we believe we can do or what we believe could happen. It is marvelous to us, but also it's too difficult for us. It's a, a situation that is unsolvable. We face a situation and our wisdom cannot fathom it. We cannot solve it. We say there's no way out of this. That's this word. It's wonderful, yeah? It may be too difficult for you. It may be unsolvable for you. It may be something that to you is inaccessible. You can never get there. It's beyond the human mind. And then when we see him do it, this is the word that is used. I'll give you a couple of examples in Scripture. Genesis 18 and verse 13, speaking of when the Lord told Abraham very plainly that his wife, Sarah, would have a son. And you remember uh, he, he was around 100 and his little wife, he was about 90. And the Lord comes and tells Abraham, this is it, is what I've been talking about for the last 25 years. Your, your um, wife, your wife will have a son. And when the Lord said that to Abraham, Sarah was hiding behind a curtain trying to listen. And she heard this being said. And so she just went and, and just laughed. I mean, this is ridiculous, but she's a stifled laugh. Okay, Genesis 18:13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, will I really have a child now that I'm so old? He, so the Lord says, that's what Sarah said in our heart, even though she's not in the room. Um, will I really have a child now that I'm so old? And the Lord went on to say, is anything too hard for the Lord? That word too hard is the word we're looking at. Wonderful. You could translate that, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything so marvelous that the Lord couldn't do it? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You have nothing in your book of knowledge that says that Sarah can have a child. Written right across that, with every human logic, she cannot. And the Lord throws it out. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah will have a son. And she did. What about Jeremiah 32, 17? And this really is coming from Jeremiah. And this is a statement of his faith. He says, Ah, oh, Lord God, Behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. That's this word, too difficult. For us, the very idea of 
creating a universe out of nothing? Well, forget it. <laughs> too difficult, too hard, beyond comprehension. But he said, nothing, nothing. I mean, jump up and down on that word, nothing, nothing is too difficult for thee. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah said that. Then the Lord says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? The, the response of those verses is this word. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. Because I'm talking in all those areas about things that I cannot think, I cannot imagine, I certainly couldn't do. But our God says, is anything too difficult for me? Is anything too hard for me? Anything that you say marvelous? Yes, that's me. You say wonderful? Yes, that's me. This word is in the same family as another word, awe, A-W-E. It's a great tragedy, the way the English language has been diluted to nothingness. And now uh, people say of, uh, say of nothing, oh, awesome, awesome, man. Sometimes I, I that, that great something, like a knife going through me, awe. A-W-E, awe, that, that is a word that, that means I'm, I'm bewildered. It means I, I'm, I'm presently confused because I, 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 don't, know, I don't have any way to put this, you see. Um, do you know the word dumbfounded? Or what's another word? Thunderstruck. Ever heard of those? It, it, it means a joy. I am delighted, uh, I am filled with admiration. In fact, I'm so confused in my delight. I am bewildered in my joy. I am thunderstruck in my admiration. I don't know what to do with this. And it comes out as adoration. My God, how great thou art. It's, it's the fodder of worship. It is behind that word that comes up over and over again in Scripture, rejoice. And I've told you more than once, the word rejoice means to leap in the air and spin around, shouting for joy. Um, because I don't know what else to do, you see. It's awe. It's wonder. It, it, it brings a certain speechlessness that just comes out sometimes in tears of joy, sometimes in a leap, a clap, a whatever. You get the picture. Another word that is behind this word is uh, a most misunderstood. And I say word because in our language it's, it's four words, but they should be, in our language, they should have hyphens there. It's the fear of the Lord. And, and people think that means you're scared stiff of God. No, it, it means, you know the word, well, I hope you know the word fear. It is a neutral word. It, the, the word has meaning in terms of what you're afraid of. And, and, and the word means that you stand in awe. 
You stand in wonder. You stand in worship before something. If you stand in awe and wonder before the Lord, then the fear of the Lord means I am living a lifestyle of wonder, a lifestyle of awe, of worship, a delight, and the revelation of his love. Fear, if I stand before something malignant, some person who desires my harm, someone who's going to hurt me, then, yeah, I stand in wonder or that is, I know that that person will hurt me and I cower because they, they are magnified before me. They fill my mind and we are afraid. But stand in fear before the Lord and you are overwhelmed with delight. With this word wonder, you hardly know what to say. And so the fear of the Lord is separated from all other fears. That's why it's with hyphens there, fear of the Lord. It's, it's not to be compared to fear of mice or fear of spiders or fear of lions or fear of people. In fact, if you have the fear of the Lord, you fear nothing else. But it's, do you put these words together? Wonder, wonderful, marvelous, amazing is another word. I stand in awe. I am bewildered, confused, yet filled with delight. The fear of the Lord. I live in the light of his revelation. In the New Testament, the words um, are scattered all through the Gospels as people responded to Jesus. And of course, we know from the Old Testament, his name is Wonderful. And their response to Wonderful was to Wonder. And so the words that are used, you'll find them in the Gospels, they are mostly translated that the people were amazed or they were astonished. But the word is really a lot stronger than that. The word actually means, I'll give you the literal meaning, it means to throw, throw yourself outside of your mind or your senses. <laughs> it means when, when you read in the Gospels of persons being amazed or astonished, it means they're standing outside of themselves. They don't know what's going on. They've lost connection with their mind or their senses. Uh, another way we would say it is to throw off balance. Um, you know, everything we thought we had settled, everything we thought w would now be written in concrete, this is the way it is, and suddenly this happened and it upsets, it throws us off balance, it, it upsets our ordered and predictable world so that we are at a loss for words and actually we don't know what to do we're standing there like blessed idiots standing outside of ourselves so we're astounded we're perplexed or oh, what's another one would be surprised by joy I, I, I'm so filled with joy I, I can hardly speak I can't find words or if I do I say something stupid do you remember Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration, he was beside himself. He didn't know what to do when he saw Jesus transfigured. 
a blaze of light in front of him and he, he was bowing down under the cloud of God's presence and what did he say Peter couldn't keep his mouth shut and even when he was outside of himself and disconnected with his mind he had to blab and so he said let's build uh, three, three tabernacles here this is too wonderful see um, astonishment but notice and I've been saying it all the way through but now let me emphasize his name shall be called wonderful if you've been with us over the last weeks you know that when the Bible speaks of a person's name it's not just a handle by which to call them by it, it, it speaks of who they essentially are right and so wonderful describes the very person of Jesus of the Father and of the Holy Spirit so this is not speaking of someone who merely does some wonderful things this is saying he is in his essential nature in his being wonderful it's the same thing when we say God is love that's who he is and he cannot be other than he is very well add to that wonderful amazing the self-revelation God reveals himself to us and he is in his nature wonderful and let me say again um, because his name is wonderful we're not just speaking like a bunch of uh, students do you, do you understand never when you come to this virtual room in which we all live here um, never come as a mere student because that means you put God on the table and start dissecting him and talking about him as if he's not in the room and, and making conclusions about him no we're, we're talking of the living present now with us triune God wherever you are now listening to me do you realize that closer than your breathing closer than your heartbeat he who is wonderful amazing is in you around you under you over you and for you to believe upon him is that you are united with him and become members of the family of wonderful our response I've already referred to it but our response to wonderful because you you might wonder why is it that you don't have a sense of wonderful in many gatherings of believers you rather have a sense of predictable um, you follow what I mean if if this is the God who revealed himself to us and then became one of us and wherever he went there was the response of astonishment and wonder how come that he now dwells in us and our response is more to yawn our response sometimes is to nod off and go to sleep or to start texting in the middle of 
knows what what's wrong the response to wonderful the first response is, is humility I mean it is just to use the word and think about it the response to wonderful is humility because we if you wonder that is if you got that jaw dropping open eyes bugging out and almost dizzy with what's going on then you are admitting that you've never been here before and you're admitting we've never known this we've never experienced this and we we really don't know all we do know is this is very it is incredibly limitlessly positive because it is evoking joy but wonder makes me very vulnerable uh, if the, the whole experience of wonder though we don't put it into words maybe it's saying I don't know I've never been here would you please explain this is outside of my mind's capability you see wonder just wonder wonderful anything too difficult and that takes us to the edge of thought see I've never been here before I can't I can't pull thoughts yet together I'm just in this state of I'm outside of myself I'm brought to the edge of thought to the edge of my experience but wonder takes me beyond the edge and wonder throws us off the edge and we find ourselves flying experiencing new possibilities that we'd never even dreamed of well you see religion is very uneasy around that very uneasy religion is the art of dissecting God and pinning him to a corkboard so that we can talk about him wonder means that I am actually now experiencing God in the midst of his works as I have never experienced before and even if I have touched it before I'm still in a state of wonder because wonder draws us into shall I say his energy field you see do you understand me there's something about wonder you can't stand and look at it and say oh interesting wonder is not the curiosity of a religious mind wonder is God drawing us into his energy field of love in the Holy Spirit that's why everything else is then slightly out of focus at that point nothing else matters I mean can you imagine at the burning bush as Moses is beholding what he's never seen before the presence of God that appears to be a flame that is burning a bush but the bush is more alive than it's ever been 
and, and he falls before it. C can you imagine Moses saying, excuse me a moment, someone's texting me, and to depart to, to uh, answer, you know those people, the people you can never really talk to because every few minutes they disappear from your world to text off into another world. Can you imagine Moses doing that? Do you see what I mean? He's been drawn into the energy field of God love through the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, nothing else matters. Nothing else. Wonder then is wide-eyed. When we're wondering, we sort of feel we need bigger eyes to see what we've never seen before. We're speechless because we need new words that we've never learned to say what we're realizing, seeing with inside eyes. Wonder immobilizes us. We, we just cannot walk away and multitask because this moment becomes our entire world. Moses didn't only not text at the burning bush. The sheep that he were responsible for don't matter anymore at that moment. When, when Peter confronts the wonder, do you remember when there was the catch of fish at the word of Jesus and Peter brought on board more fish than he'd caught in a week and, and he suddenly realized that that moment of realization of who Jesus is and he fell at his feet that you see he did Peter didn't say well that's interesting I'm gonna take a course in, in Bible uh, no he's drawn in and now he, he he doesn't know who Jesus is that, because what he's seen has blown to pieces anything he thought Jesus was and now he's drawn in and all he can do is fall on his knees Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus didn't say well there now that rather upsets things we'd better debate now who Jesus is no because there's no no religious debate on the road to Damascus the man falls on his face he's encompassed by the light of God and his life is changed forever. John, who knew Jesus so, so well, and yet by the book of Revelation, he sees Jesus as Jesus is now in all his glory. He says, I fell at his feet as one dead. It's interesting, and this it could be a rabbit trail, which I'm not going to go down, but Job, have you ever read the whole book of Job at one sitting? Get the drift of it. And Job was full of questions as to why is this happening to me? Why? Uh, why do I sit on this refuse heap? And why have I become like this? Why? Why my troubles? Now, that's the first part of the book. And, of course, all his friends with their ponderous philosophical answers sit around him. And, but then the, the last chapters of the book... God reveals himself. You want answers? Well, what are the answers, you see? What are the answers? Well, oh, this gets so exciting. I said it's a rabbit trail. Because I, I, let alone Job, I want a, a 
you know, I want answers with bullet points. I, I want logical explanation of what's happened. Instead, in those last chapters of Job, the Lord takes Job on a tour of creation and shows him his creation and talks about it as his creation, speaking of what he's made and, and the marvel of it to this very second. And at the end of it all, Job falls down. He's got his answer. Yet to me, I'm saying you didn't get any answer. Wonder, wonder at what God has done and revealed who he is. That's his answer. Wonder took him to worship and a peace of heart and an answer. Yeah, wonder. I say again, religion is very uneasy around wonder. Religion wants a God that keeps to the program. Religion wants God all wrapped up in a final book of this is what we believe and that's the end of it. God isn't in the book, I'm sorry. God many times isn't in the program. Or put, put it this way, I believe in programs. I believe, and I, I have a statement of faith. Um, I'm not throwing that to the wind. I'm just open to a God who is bigger than everything I've ever experienced, everything I've ever studied, everything that I've ever said. God is bigger. His love is bigger, grander, vaster, and anything my poor little brain has ever been able to take in and I'm, I'm ready to discover that God and so when I come to the scripture the revelation of God in scripture is wonderful is amazing is astonishing and within that scripture he promises wonders and if you look carefully enough it's written, the scriptures over the centuries written by amazed and wondering people who have seen this revelation and are trying to put it down. And to believe those promises, you're united to the wonder and you become a wonder. Oh, the Psalms are full of it. Um, and read the, the whole jolly lot and you're, you'll see it popping up all over the place but it's do you remember that one where it says who is like unto you among the God who is like unto you that's a wow um, and the other one that just explodes and says I will bless the Lord at all times or the word that we've never translated we use it worldwide it's interesting you can be in the middle of the jungle and they're speaking Swahili but this word will come up and you suddenly realize we're all on the same page here the word is hallelujah that's a Hebrew word do you know what it means it means to brag it means to boast it means to even act foolishly in your boasting and so it says, I look at God and, and I wonder, and I boast of him. Uh, and I might do funny things like clap my hands and raise my hands. Boasting in God, bragging on God. And of course, in the Psalms, that word we've already spoken of, the fear of the Lord. No. You see, sometimes the Lord is spoken of as the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion, God the lion. 
um, he's not a tame lion. <laughs> uh, he, he's not a circus lion that does tricks at the crack of the religious whip. No, no, no. I, I remember when I was in um, Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe in Africa um, and, and the falls, the, I mean it makes Niagara Falls look like a puddle. They're these unbelievable falls that you can see miles into the sky, um, rainbows everywhere, marvelous. But there's nothing much else there. It's in the middle of the jungle. A Zambezi River goes over the side. and But there is a hotel there and a few little houses and stores for tourists. It's hardly a town. And, and I, I stayed there for a, a week. And the, the person I was with, he was, uh, knew his jungle. And so we would go out every day in his Jeep out into the bush and um, we came back one evening and it was around six o'clock I suppose and as we drove into the outlying area of Victoria we saw a lion and the lion was going down the street now that that's a sight I mean yeah. You can look and see a dog or a cat, but a lion. The lion was padding along the street. And I can't explain the experience. I'd seen plenty of lions out there in the bush, but here was a real bona fide lion walking the streets of Victoria, and it sort of emanated a majesty, emanated power you didn't mess with this lion and, and we slid past it in the jeep and got to the hotel and as i said i'd seen lions but this was somehow different because it was a lion in the middle of some sort of civilization and and so lion became i realized why he was called the king of beasts and when i came back to the states uh, and had the opportunity and i was in a zoo and I went to the lion house, still remembering that majestic creature that was padding like it owned Victoria. And in the lion house, in the zoo, oh, what a letdown. I mean, I'd been to lion houses in zoos before, but it was over against what I'd just experienced. The, that wasn't a lion. Well, I suppose it was behind the bars, a poor yellow wimp just sprawled out in the cage while mindless tourists were gawking at it. And then the keeper came and threw some food and the creature got up off its haunches and sauntered up. I thought, what a pathetic creature. And suddenly I kind of saw it, that God and his majesty, yes, you don't mess with God. He walks in our midst and we are caught up in the wonder of love, power, love, majesty, love, honor. All we can do is say, worthy is the lamb. Religion would put him in their zoo 
put him in their cage and reduce their concept of God to a yellow wimp and would employ full-time persons to prod the wimp and, and, and get it out there so tourists can come on Sunday and look at it. You get the picture. The truth is many people have never confronted the real God. They've never had that fear. Yes, wonderful, joyous, unspeakable fear. That amazement, that astonishment, that is anything too difficult for the Lord. No, they only know a poor, arthritic, yellow creature. He's the God whose name is Wonder. He spoke creation into being with his word. He imagined every atomic structure of all that is and spoke it into being. And now, at this moment, is upholding everything from mosquitoes to blades of grass to trees to dogs to lions to elephants to you and I. He upholds us by the word of his power. Wow. I mean, catch the wonder. He, he's the God who danced in the flames of the burning bush. He's, he's the God who, in the life of Joseph, when everybody that he ought to be able to trust had turned against him, kidnapped him, sold him as a slave, and his life is finished. And at the end of that story, well, no, in the middle of the story, because he went on to live a long life, but in the middle of his story, it says, God, well, put it, he says, you, you, my brothers, you kidnapped me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good that the whole earth might be saved from famine. Come on. I mean, what was your reaction? Mine is to sit back and say, wow, a God who can work in the minds of wicked men, that when they do their wickedness, God is in the middle of it, turning it for good and bringing out of it, out of the dungeons where they'd thrown away the key, out of the blackmail and betrayal of Potiphar's wife, out of the whole hideous, hellish mess. He brings Joseph to be nearly the ruler of all the world. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Wow, he works in our lives. He plays in the Red Sea, which is our impossible. I stand before the Red Sea, there's no way through that sea and Pharaoh's army is breathing down my neck. And the Lord dances in the sea and opens the sea and you dance through with him. Yeah. They throw the three Hebrew boys into the furnace and the Lord takes up residence with them and they have fun together in the midst of the flames and the only thing that burned was the ropes that held them. Oh yeah. You better get used to this incredible God. You see, I say it again, religion is uneasy with this. Very uneasy. I mean, we can talk about this 
but to realize we are in him and he is in us that's something else you see Jesus said except you become as a little child you, you can't see or enter the kingdom of God what's he say that for well for many reasons but children they wonder without any shame you notice that I mean children are always discovering something they haven't seen before and so it goes with the territory they're always wowing in their childish way whatever way they do it but there's always that wow they've discovered something new and they're not ashamed of being wowed in fact they come to you you know have that little child come uh, and they're bringing to you uh, a daisy or a buttercup or, or some little weed that's, that's got a pretty flower and they're giving it to you like they're giving you their fortune because they've never seen this before and this is so wonderful they have to show you children I say wonder without shame actually children see God's wonder in creation they see the wonder of love and that is why they wonder and what's our adult response oh yes 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 because in our adult head we no longer see wonder we no longer see the wonder of a flower we no longer see the wonder of a weed and so we're we're embarrassed to say we wonder we're ashamed I mean we're adults we, we ought to have been there before so we say, yes 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 they are unashamed to say this is something I didn't know something I've never seen before we want to be able to say of course I've seen that yes 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 and so we we very definitely come down to their level to enter the kingdom of God Jesus is saying among other things but he's saying we forsake the adult mind if, if you go into the Gospels you will see the Pharisee is the adult mind the Pharisee knows everything been there done that got the t-shirt yeah got it all written down can do this can't do that that's the end that's the limit God's like this he isn't like that can't heal on the Sabbath adult mind got it all worked out hadn't you you never had a personal experience though you got all that from your ancestors just repeating it like a robot but that you I'm an adult now Jesus said forsake the adult mind you know and if you get the pick you go back to when Jesus said that except you it says he took a little child in the midst see they're having this big discussion yeah go back I'm sorry I don't know where it is it's somewhere in the Gospels but you can go, go back to them and see the, they're, they're all ponderous theologians debaters those who spend their life dissecting the law Jesus takes a little child who happened to be in the circle and I often think that little child wasn't listening to what was going on I, I, I think I know the little child was standing there watching a spider 
under the chair of one of the Pharisees. And that spider was far more interesting than what was being said. Jesus took the little child and he says, except you become as a little child. Forsake the adult mind and become a wandering child before the amazing Father and the wonderful Son and the present wonder, the Holy Spirit among us. Well, I, I've got a lot more to say, more than I thought, but um, we shall return to this next week. But let me say this, let it be your prayer from this moment until we meet again next week. Let it be your prayer, Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Let me see who you are. Let me see your works. Turn me from my blindness to seeing. Turn me from the darkness of religious adulthood that as a little child I might see and receive and dance in your love. And I believe, I know, that we could be on the path to experiencing the kind of faith that they knew in the New Testament, which is what we'll talk about next week, this forsaking of the adult mind and coming to rejoice and be the wonders Join to him who is the wonderful. Amen.